Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Daily Tech News Show Weekend Edition is made possible by its listeners. Thanks to all of you, especially our patrons. Remember, you can get an ad free version of the show and more. Patreon.com slash DTNS. Coming up on the Weekend Edition, will you 3D print your next lens? Canon's bottoming out means things are looking up? And is Reddit better than NASA? This is the Photography News for the month of August 2022 in lovely Cleveland, Ohio. I'm Rich Straffolino. And north of the wall, I'm Anthony Lemos. You know, during the weeks and months, photography news, sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle. So once a month, we shine a spotlight on the biggest news here in the weekend edition. Let's start with a bit of photo news you might have missed. For the past several years, flying drones has been a morass of constantly changing rules and regulations. European pilots finally have a win, however. The European Union Aviation Safety Agency, because there's not enough words in there, (laughs) recently approved the DJI Mavic 3 as its first ever classification C1 drone, allowing pilots to fly it in certain areas without having to take the remote pilot licensing exam. For those with their license, this opens up more available flying options for the Mavic 3, such as flying near and over, quote-unquote, involved people. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you're stressed out, you're good to fly it over (laughs) those people now. (laughs) All right. Well, for those wishing for the days of classic Polaroid instant film cameras and lamenting the end of Type 100 film, and to be clear, we all are, it may be time to dust off those old Polaroid land cameras and get shooting. Claiming the rebirth of folding land cameras, French company Newland Camera has just funded a Kickstarter campaign for a non-permanent modification that will attach to many of the old Polaroid land cameras and allow you to use currently available SX-70 or 600 or I-type film for either color or black and white with that camera. And you can use turn it back and use extremely old expired Type 100, I guess, if you really want to. <laughs> uh, at least that option is available. <laughs> back in May, we told you about a budding joint venture between Leica and Panasonic, and we now have our first official product details. Kind of. According to, to a Nikkei report, Panasonic has confirmed it has, it has ceased development of the Lumix-branded compact cameras and will instead be focusing on co-developing a mirrorless camera with Leica for release next year. Panasonic is, quote, developing high-end mirrorless machines aimed mainly at enthusiasts and professional filmmakers. 
that enthusiast market looking interesting. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Uh, first here, though, many of today's best-selling cameras, aka phones, are using AI image enhancement, sometimes known as computational photography, to achieve great results despite having teeny tiny sensors. Google's neural radiance fields, or NERFs, take that concept a step further. Researcher Cora Zone Ferry released a video showing how a series of low-light raw photos can be turned into a virtual scene that looks nearly lifelike, allowing for refocusing, excellent artificial bokeh, and 3D movement around the scene, aka parallax, using a special version of NERF called Raw nerf. You really need to see the video. It's really cool. We have it in the show notes, so go check those out. And uh, if you haven't already seen it, it's well worth a look. It's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Fujifilm has confirmed the date for its next X Summit event to be September 8th, 2022 in New York City. New York City. Expected announcements include the X-Trans CMOS 5HR, likely the next anchor of Fujifilm cameras going forward. The 56mm f1.2 and 30mm f2.8 lenses in their XF line. For those in New York City, there will be a Fujikina event on September 10th that will include demonstrations and presentations along with hands-on opportunities for attendees. That 30mm looks real interesting. I want to see more about that. I already have a portrait lens, so I'm good. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> speaking of lenses... Have you ever thought that your lenses for your favorite cameras are just too expensive? And if you own that Fujifilm 56 millimeter, you definitely think so. Yeah. Or maybe you'd like some bespoke lenses built to the exact focal length you need. Well, if you have access to a 3D printer, both of these problems just inched a step closer to a solution for you. Enter Pixels and Prisms. This is an open source repository for photography focused 3D printed projects. Their first major project is a 163mm f2.5 telephoto lens for Canon EF mount-capable cameras. The manual focus mechanism, 12-bladed adjustable aperture, and body are all 3D printed, like even the helicoid to do all the focusing. That's the like, crazy hard part. It's assembled with household glue and holds a separately purchable 65mm optic. Total cost of materials? Around 15 bucks. So... You know, Amos, are, are you ready for a world of hot pink camouflage 3D printed lenses? I mean, this is when I saw this, I kind of <laughs> couldn't. I was like, how is this possible? I mean, it granted 163 millimeters, not always my focal length of choice, but this right. seems like a big deal. Well, I think it's a big deal just that it can be done. You know, you get this and then you get uh, depending on what 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 uh, what lens you're using, you know, what what actual optical piece you're using. You could really just expand out from there and, and, you know, play with this all day long. It's, it's fascinating that this is where we are, that lenses are so expensive that people are trying to build them at home. And then they've designed it so that anybody can print it out on a 3D printer. And like you said, the focus ring ring, the manual aperture, all these things are, are internal, controlled by external rings that are all 3D printed. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of 3D printed camera designs, but usually the like the lens is always the part where the 3D printing doesn't come through. Either it's a pinhole camera, right, which is like it's great. You can 3D print something very precise so you know your exact, you know, crazy right. F136 or something like that. But, you know, whatever. Or it's something that uses, a, you know, you attach a, a regular lens like, um, you know, I have I have a 3D printed uh, camera that uses Mimia press lenses. The lens is like the weak point that it cannot do. To mm -hmm. see this, this to me is almost a compliment to we've seen so much advancement in lens design over the past 10 years, like to the point where like 
$200 lenses can achieve like remarkable amounts of precision. And I think we, we are almost at a point where everything is good enough now. Like, like it's not like there is, there is a, a, like a huge gap between your budget $150 nifty 50 and your 10,000, not 10,000, your $1,000 Canon L lens or something like that. Like, right. like that you're, you're getting into a point where there's diminishing returns a little bit. So I feel like, yeah, you're using the separately purchable 65 millimeter optic probably is going to have distortion, probably is going to have some more chromatic aberration, but we've come to such a level that I feel like most people, like a lot of people, a lot of photographers are going to be fine with that for most applications, especially if, if it's anything going for the web, I always feel like most modern lenses are so overkill unless you're printing at scale. Right. And a lot of this, I think, is, again, the bespoke market. Like, if you need a very specific focal length and mm-hmm. you need um, to be able to, uh, you know, manually adjust that for the aperture and the focus, and you don't necessarily need to zoom in or zoom out, why why wouldn't you try this? Yeah. Um, the, the thing that gets me, though, is how fast are they going to be rolling these out and how easy is it for other people to design theirs now that there's a base you know, design in there. So can someone else come along and say, okay, well, I've done the math and the optics for this would work. And it's, you know, a much smaller lens, but it it has a different focus length, you know, like it just, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that this is now that possibility for people to use because they have the base right there. Yeah. I imagine the longer focal length, part of the reason for that is it's easier. Like you don't need to have the, all the lens elements packed together so closely. But if you look at most classic lenses, again, up until the last 10 years, we're getting into more exotic elements, aspherical elements and, and all that kind of stuff that are harder to produce. A lot of classic lenses had the same configuration, relatively simple. You know, you're looking at like six elements for most lenses uh, or less than that. Uh, in, in kind of established, uh, uh, lens formations that are well understood. So I, I feel like there, there is a huge amount of knowledge base out there. And again, uh, with, with probably more like industrial grade optics, even those increasing in quality, uh, at, at very low price points opens the door for a lot of interesting possibilities. Yeah. Now that there's more of a market, cause this definitely increases the market for the optics themselves. Now that there's yeah. more of the, more of the market, you know, I'm pretty excited to see what what optic manufacturers come out with next and Most, you know, be able to come out with the, uh, the convex lens and, and stuff like that to really <laughs> nail that focus in there. Most definitely. Uh, all right. We've mentioned the James Webb telescope more than once in the show, because we are fascinated by the amazing deep space photographs and composites that are coming back from it because they're awesome. NASA recently released photos near space of our neighbor planet, Jupiter showing off its Aurora, Find details in the storms that rage on the planet and even Jupiter's extremely faint rings. It, it truly just spectacular uh, imagery. But what about something a little closer to home, Anthony? Our nearest celestial body. Oh, you may have heard of it. The moon. What? To, yeah. Uh, let's give it some love because two astrophotographers teamed up to take, quote, the most ridiculous moonshot we could come up with. Andrew McCarthy of Arizona and Connor Mathern of Louisiana connected over Reddit and captured over 200,000 images of the moon on a single night, splitting their focus between color and detail. They then spent several months combining the photo into a single image and released the final 173 megabyte file to the R space subreddit. Anthony, you've, you've taken a look at these. Uh, what's more impressive to you in terms of never before seen footage of, uh, uh, Jupiter or 
the the most spectacular shot of the moon I think I've ever seen. I'm gonna go with the moon. I, I I think I think the shot of Jupiter is a little more interesting because it's something I haven't seen before. But the level of detail in this moonshot and the fact that it took two people, you know, and they, they just they teamed up and they just did it. You know, they even split the duties, like you said, between the focusing on the fine details and the other guy just making sure the coloring was right with you know different uh, exposures and stuff like that. It's completely fascinating. It's 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 a beautiful photo. I downloaded it. I have it in my in my uh, my rotation of of backgrounds you know my desktop wallpapers it's fat it, it's it's almost so real it looks uncanny <laughs> you, yeah i mean that's that's the thing like i mean you you really and the color is really what stands out to me now like i haven't zoomed in to to view it in all of its near megapixel or gigapixel glory right. but like seeing the moon with like shades of red and and just just all of that stuff was was so fascinating to me now let, let's give some james webb space telescope some love here uh I'm sure scientifically that picture of Jupiter is much, uh, uh, much more interesting if from a, from a scientific perspective, right. right? This is again, something we we've never had before. We've never been to Jupiter. So like imagery is really, and I guess we've sent like a couple probes into there to get messed up and, and yeah. report back. But like there, there is less knowledge of Jupiter than there is of the moon. So I'm sure scientifically that is the more valid, uh, piece of information. But yeah, I gotta go, I gotta go team moon Reddit, uh, here. Like it, it opens the door to what is possible on a consumer level, uh, kind of in the same way the 3D printed lens story was where it was like, I didn't, I never even thought you could do that. Capturing, you know, like tiny little ultra zoomed in pictures of the moon to get just all this massive scale, all this yeah. texture, and then uh, the multispectral imaging to, to do uh, the, the color on the moon. Uh, it makes me excited for what enthusi- like enthusiast level people can do. And the best part is we can have our cake and eat it too, because James Webb Space Telescope ain't going anywhere. Maybe, maybe get to work doing some distant galaxies. Okay. Stay yeah. less close to home. That's all I'm saying. Maybe... <laughs> You know, leave it, leave it to us, uh, consumer astrophotographers that know how to take 200,000 images of the moon in a single night. I don't know yeah. how you do that, but it's kudos. Yeah. He, he, he lined it up with a, uh, with a star tracker and just sat there and snapped away. And I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he had a hard drive tethered. That's a lot of photos for this. That is, that is a lot, a lot of, <laughs> he was hot swapping those cards just I'm all night. You. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> um, yeah. The the thing that I like about it is that the moon, you know, you, you say the the multi-spectrum coloring, right? This is not coloring that we would not be able to see if the moon weren't so bright against a dark sky. Mm-hmm. It's just that it took that much work to get it to where the visible moon, what the moon would actually look like if it weren't against that dark sky, was visible to us. Like, yeah. Even even the the astronauts going across it and floating around it and and watching it from space, it's still too bright against a dark sky for you to be able to distinguish most colors. It just like a, looks like a gray basin of rockiness, and I, I think it's really fascinating that that the whole process. I, I just I love space photos. I love photography. I love space, and space photos are just like they're just right up my alley. You just bum me out though that I'm always viewing the moon overexposed. And there's not like I can't di- switch my dial. I need to go uh, like negative yeah. five. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I can't do it. Damn you, Moon. <laughs> yeah, you get you gotta dial back the uh, the the or dial up the aperture on your eyes. You yeah, really- that, well, that's what I'm always telling my optometrist. I was like, can you get me down to like f64 on these? Because yeah. I need to see the moon. That's what yeah. I'm trying to tell you. It's- All right. <laughs> 
But then you end up overexposing the, the space itself and you start getting near infrared. All, all, you know. all the rest of reality. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just too much. They're protecting you, Rich. They're protecting you. It's true. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to besmirch you eyes. You are the ultimate camera after all. All right. Well, if you want to run down every single day of just the tech headlines, get it done in about five or six minutes. You need to check out our related show, Daily Tech Headlines. All the essential tech news in about five minutes. Check it out. DailyTechHeadlines.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right. For years, there have been conversations about high-end mobile phones killing the market for dedicated cameras. This is been the thing on this show and this show's fairly young we were still talking about it <laughs> in particular how long brands like canon sony and nikon in particular would produce dedicated cameras when it seems nearly everyone has a camera that's quote-unquote good enough in their pockets was in question canon thinks they have the answer though during their q2 financial report canon stated they believe the camera market has quote bottomed out at its current size interesting words, saying they expect professional and enthusiast camera sales to improve as the camera technology advances. Now, Rich, we all know that the camera that you have with you is the camera that that, that is the best camera for the situation. It's whatever you have around. But do you you take Canon at their word here that the the enthusiast and professional markets have bottomed out and it's only going to go back up from here? I think so. And I think we can look at what Canon is doing in terms of products to kind of get a vision for where they see this market going. Uh, it's not a surprise that like essentially every camera is going to be a hybrid camera 
right? Going forward, it's just degree of like what the ratio of stills to video is. I mean, Canon is never going to make a camera again that doesn't have a flip out LCD. That's just like going to be their business model, right? And I think where they, they see the market going is we, we have a generation. I mean, like we're, we're entering into an age where everyone is a content creator. And yes, a lot of that can be done on your phone. Like, Hey, TikTok is super great. Uh, you know, like let's use our phones. We can do all this right. creativity stuff, uh, with that. They're amazing tools, but there's always going to be people, businesses, organizations that are going to want a higher bar of quality or something like that, even if you're then doing it in a way to make it look amateurish because that's the style of whatever platform you're on. Like to me, Canada is saying, okay, there, there's a ton of people that are reaching the limits of what they can do maybe from a production value standpoint from their phones. They're already seeing it. I'm sure a ton of people uh, adopting to mirrorless cameras as a way to, to up their game there. And this kind of goes hand in hand with where another trend that we're seeing in this this hybrid camera market is the kind of the embrace of open gate recording that we see. I know this seemed totally separate from like flip out screen open gate, but like the the reason we're seeing every single camera maker do that uh is because it's super easy to film something with open gate where you're doing four by three or three by two uh, at a fairly uh, fat aspect ratio, because mm-hmm. then you can make it, you can, uh, you have more latitude to cut it to vertical, cut it to horizontal, depending on, uh, or landscape or, or whatever, uh, yeah. depending on where you want to send it. So like, it, it makes sense to me. The question is, I don't know how much of a bounce back we're going to see from rock bottom, assuming that's where we're at or where we were at within the last two years or something like that. And yeah, Canon is probably going to be the recipient that, that benefits the most from whatever that bounce back is. And I'm sure, you know, Sony is too, uh, because they're the, you know, the, the, the two 800 pound gorillas in the room, but I Mm -hmm. don't know if that stands for the whole industry. I'm curious, Anthony, what, you know, you, what you were seeing with this. I think there will always be. The phones in your pocket are going to be great cameras going forward. That's that's here to stay. There's going to be the next level. There's going to be things that those phones cannot capture, and I think that market is always going to be available. And because you have that market, you need an entry level into that market, you need an enthusiast market, and then you need the professional market because there's so many options to go. And I can see the entry level and enthusiast markets on their I basically I see the enthusiast market splitting in half and you have the lower end and the uh, going towards the entry level pricing and entry level features and then the higher end enthusiast market going merging in with the professional stuff cuz that's kind of how I see it now anyway but I see that just being absolutely the case and you're going to basically you're going to have the crop sensors as your entry market and the full frame sensors as your your professional market um so my my question is though, and this is I I don't know the answer to this, so I just kind of want to put it out there. We talked earlier about the raw nerf, the amazing stuff we can do with computational photography. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Deep Fusion and Apple have been, you know, it, it's been one of their tent poles of like this yep. is how we're going to advance with photography on tiny sensors. Um, we're we're seeing every camera maker like that. That's the story of if you're not Samsung and Apple, that's the story that we're seeing is that your camera's not as good because your night mode isn't as good because you're not stacking 20 images in HDR automatically and, and you don't have a custom SOC to be able to do that. My question is, we really aren't seeing a ton of that on the enthusiast side it, outside of autofocus. Like Sony, all everybody's doing we have AI programmed autofocus so you can auto track birds better. You can, you know, auto, tra- you know, we have people detection. We have pet detection. We have car detection. 
interesting features for sure that make some people's lives easier. I don't see that same investment on the software or the silicon side that we're seeing now. Like this is how my brain's working. Phones need that because they're at a disadvantage in terms of sensor size. Large cameras don't need that right now, and they can hold off on that or maybe say, we're not going to need that because we're going to have amazing glass in front of it. Uh, uh, you, you know, like we have other advantages that we don't need that. Maybe we'll see the computational photography side, you know, kind of crest and things get much more incrementally better than we've seen already. I, I, I don't see companies investing less in imaging, though, when it comes to mm-hmm. cell phone companies, right? I'm wondering, do any of these companies, maybe Sony is the best, uh, uh, you know, is the best lined up to do this. Do any of these companies have the resources to play that arms race when it comes to computational photography? So two things. One, with the smaller sensor, these itty bitty little sensors you have in the phones, it doesn't take as much to read them because there's less data there. So you can Mm -hmm. process, you know, the computational photography stuff faster. Whereas with a big sensor, much more data magnitudes of difference there. Um, but yet we are seeing the R3 come out with, you know, what, 300 shots, 200 and whatever shots in a quarter second. Like the, how far of a, of a leap is it that the, the, the R1 is now going to be able to do that in the 10th of a second and stack them all and do the computational photography from there with the new Canon processor. Sony has got to be on the verge of doing the same thing because they've been faster than Canon on the, yeah. the full read sensors for a long time. Nikon, Nikon's just going to catch up with it. However, it is going to have to, there's going to have to be a, a, a difference there. There's, you know, the big markets are going to, you know, the big cameras are going to have to come up with something that keeps that computational stuff at bay. And maybe that's optics. Maybe that's new sensors that can read better. So they don't need to do the computational stuff as much, but that's that's going to be a very interesting like pinpoint in this whole competition between the phone in your pocket and the phone in your bag or the, I, the camera in your pocket and the camera in your bag. I will say at the end of the day, what's going to drive this is all going to be video. Like, to be quite honest, most still like advancement in still cameras is incremental and the needs for a still camera outside of like buffer rates and like interesting features like Wi-Fi transfer and stuff, which is like super useful and convenient. Like, I, there's not a ton of advancement in the last, like, yeah. couple of years when it comes to either a DSLR or a mirrorless camera. Anything that's going to drive this growth for Canon, Sony, any of these camp- dedicated camera companies is going to come on the video side because that's just where all the consumer interest is. And we're seeing the most honest advancements in terms of 4K, 6K, and that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. And you have Nikon doing the pre-record. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, and, 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 then, and then video feeds into still features because you have already have that pipeline already set up. So. Right, right. Especially if you're doing full sensor uh, readouts. Um, now, I will no- notice that uh, per conversations we've had before, they didn't make any new announcements, but Canon did say they will continue to support the DSLO market as long as demand exists. That's mm-hmm. a fuzzy, fuzzy, that's some fuzzy language. That Yeah, that is that is what I like to call wiggle room for when they arbitrarily say there's not enough demand, a.k.a. our margin does it keep up on us? You can make right. pentaprisms for this, you know, 1D whatever. Uh, so it turns out we're shutting all that down uh, or with yeah. the 5D whatever. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that that is a we're not making the mistake of Nikon and letting a press report tell everybody that we're ending DSLR production. Like if Nikon had made this announcement, 
the narrative would be totally different around them. But they let, or they didn't let, a media report got out, and now that's the tone of their DSLR as opposed to, again, oh, we'll support it. I mean, we're never going to come out with another DSLR. Like, let's just be very clear exactly. about Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, finishing up here, while sales of dedicated cameras have been in a consistent, if not at times, steep decline over the past several years, as we've talked about, one company has found a way to transform the market. No, literally transform the market. Canon has teamed up with Takara Tomi to produce fully articulated versions of uh, the Autobot Optimus Prime and Decepticon Reflector that transform into slightly scaled down replica EOS R5s. Creators are open until September 28th, and they're going for around 150 US dollars, though they're only being sold in Japan. If you want one elsewhere, you'll have to wait until they stop popping up on the secondhand market sometime after uh, their February 25th, 2023 release date. And I'm assuming they're going to approach the price of a real R5 by the time you get your hands on. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly the comment I was going to make. Yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine them not being marked up just so far beyond what they... <laughs> What they're actually selling for. And, and the reason they'll be marked out is because they look amazing. Like, yes. I know I'm just seeing pictures of them, uh, but, uh, like, it makes my heart giddy to see that. The only thing that would be better if it was, it was like a, like a Pentax film SLR. That'd be the best. That'd be the best one. We need, but, but, uh, we need like a Skyfire, uh, one because it was like right. trapped in ice and it'll be like, oh, it's like a film SLR. That'd be cool. <laughs> now we're talking here. That's my deep, there we go. deep transformer lore. Uh, the only one there I know. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, Anthony, what's in the mailbag? We got some mail. I'm glad you asked. We actually have uh, uh, two things here. Uh, Yaniv, who is a Nikon shooter. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's important. If you if you email the show, go ahead and tell us if you shoot Nikon, Sony, Canon, Pentax. Fuji. Uh, yeah, some old Sigma. Fuji from... From way back, pinhole, like pinhole, you know, yeah. just let us know. Let us know. You shoot pinhole eight by tens. Let us know. Yeah, if you're shooting pinhole eight by tens at weddings, let us know. We want to. <laughs> we, we, we have questions. A few years ago, I had a Sony a, uh, Alpha six hundred, great little camera, but I wanted to take time lapses with it. There was no way to do it easily, but I found out someone had hacked the software, and with new software installed on the SD card, you can override the latest version and be able to create amazing time lapses with a few clicks. I think the companies create aversions to the of the camera's software and sometimes don't realize what, that people want it or what they can do with it. Important details like incomplete software is a problem and shouldn't be released until complete, but I am all in on the new capabilities created by software updates. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the other mention on this, that's awesome, by the way, that people were able to hack that. Uh, I also have to give a shout out to the, what is it, the Canon M? Like their, their original tiny little mirrorless mm-hmm. APS-C camera, all that firmware got hacked. So you could shoot like raw video and stuff, really cool stuff like that. There's, there's, yep. there's a, it's not often you get people hacking into that. Uh, the Panasonic GH3 also, uh, was, was doing that back in the day. I remember. So, uh, I, I'm all for camera hacking, assuming I know that voids the warranty. I'm, I'm a hundred percent for that. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple out there that are, uh, firmware hacks that are working with several different cameras and they're pretty sweet. They open up a lot of the, a lot of possibilities. All right. Well, Komei wrote in with some experiences and background on model numbers. Uh, we were going to just take some highlights here. He sent in a, a really detailed email. Really appreciate it. lots of good stuff in there. So we're just going to hit up the highlights here. I said, uh, Rich and Amos, I've enjoyed the photography news as always. Thank you. Uh, we, I, he's, he says, 
you, he means rich, me, have complained about manufacturers not coming up with good product names. I stand by that, Comey. But here are a few reasons, and they're very good. Companies like Sony have thousands of products, and every one of them has a model number. The o- They only name the product series, and he cites the Walkman, Bravia TVs, Xperia phones. The models that come out every year are too many to give nicknames. But he does give honorable mention. Canon did come up with nicknames for their EOS series of cameras. The EOS 3000V, for instance, was the Rebel K2 in the US and the Kiss Light in Japan. Clearly, Japan leading the way in memorable names. I will never forget that, taking it to my grave. For every model like this, the reviewers and tech journalists had to memorize the model number, the American name, the Japanese name. So yeah, and, and he points out that like with global markets, it's hard to come up with a name that would would mean anything would work in yeah, everywhere too. yeah yeah especially when you know uh, yeah it's it just becomes a whole morass so i get that all i'm asking for everyone knows that numbers go, like bigger numbers should be better that's all yeah. i'm saying call me just yeah. like the two should be better than the one that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying <sighs> i'm okay i'm okay yeah <sighs> do, you, do you need some ice i do i do <laughs> And two would be better than one ice. That's all I'm saying. I would know that because bigger is better. Uh, thank you, Komei, for that email. Um, Truly appreciate we, it. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you want to... Uh, bam, bam. Yeah, let's try that one again. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what photo news stories we missed or tell us what you think of this new format. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com with the subject photo news monthly. And it can be photo news monthly or photography news monthly or anything along those lines. Anything that says photo, photography, photographer, any of that stuff. I search for all of that when I do the, uh, the recaps. So there was some confusion about that. Um, yeah. So send us email feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. And remember to catch a Daily Tech News Show live Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 2000 UTC. You can find out more all about that, dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. We will see you next month. Keep snapping. Keep snapping. Snap! about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>